Square Enix London podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Square Enix London podcast. Uh, I'm, my name's Phil Elliott. I'm head of the community team uh, for the western side of the business here in London. I'm joined by Scott Blows. Hello, Scott. Hello. Hello, everyone. Back Hello. again uh, like a renegade hamster. Uh, and Dan Sito. Hello. Am I also a renegade hamster? No. No, you're much better than Scott. Yay! Okay, because obviously Scott is—you uh, know—we like to make jokes about the hipster in the team. Uh. However, <laughs> it's Scott's lucky day because we're welcoming for the first time to the Squarence London Studios, uh, Squarence London podcast, Tobias Palm, Tobias J Palm, aka Hello. the Hoff. <laughs> Hello there. Uh, glad, glad to be on board with you guys. Okay, it's so just... quick recap. That's all we, we don't need. Oh. Off me. Uh, a quick, <laughs> quick recap. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Why is he got the half? <laughs> because he's full of ridiculous cliches. <laughs> and uh, he often walks down the corridor and you'd be forgiven for hearing the Baywatch theme tune pipe out of the, uh, the internal sound system if, if he had anything to do with it. I thought that was the soundtrack to my life. But okay. Yeah. Only you would be proud of that. So, um, Scott, uh, Scott, you work on Life is Strange. It's been it's been a busy busy uh, few weeks, busy month for you. Yeah, busy couple of weeks. So, um, yep, Life is Strange episode two, Out of Time, is uh, is out uh, now, and it has been since, uh, for about a week or so, a bit over, a bit over a week. Um, so, I've been reading all your reactions uh, on the on the forums and through our Twitter and Facebook channels, um, and they've been. There have been uh, some pretty crazy ones, but also some really interesting ones. Um, yeah. In particular, uh, a couple of videos went up which have gone into great detail. Um, well, you've got to be. It's really hard, isn't it? Because with this game, we've got to be careful of spoilers. Exactly. For it's... those people who haven't played the game yet, for those people who, who uh, maybe haven't have played episode one, or haven't got to episode two. I mean, the end of episode two. Yeah. Can I just be the first to say ZOMG? Yeah. And can I also just say I didn't. Oh. And I can't believe it. If you've played episode two and you've got to you guys so you'll understand what that means. I, I haven't played it and I have no idea what that means. I, I well, finished episode one yesterday, so can you please stop? Us? There will be no spoilers, will be no spoilers but spoilers. all I'm going to say is I didn't, and uh, I tried my hardest to, mm. and I didn't, and I can't believe it. And I was, uh, yeah, wow, it was pretty. It's a pretty powerful moment. Yeah, it's powerful stuff, and um, for those of you who have played and completed, um, your reactions are uh, have been have been really interesting to see. And um, all I will say is, uh, for anyone affected by any of the issues uh, raised raised in raised in episode yep. two, um, you can go to uh, lifeisstrange.com/talk. Um, and we'll, we'll leave it there. No more we'll leave spoilers. it there. We'll leave it there. It's a bit like you know, if anyone in the UK, it's a bit like one of those hard, hard episodes of EastEnders, isn't it? Yeah. If you've been affected by any of the issues <laughs> raised in this episode, uh, but no, in all seriousness, it's um, yeah. It's, I, I was. I, the funny thing is, because obviously, you know, I work here and I'd seen it in, in uh, before it was released and all the rest of it. I you work here. Uh, so do I. Well, I work here. You kind of hang out. Oh. Uh, and. Um, <laughs> Uh, see, I told you it wouldn't be just you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so I glad Toby's here. Scott is incredibly happy right now. You can look at but, it, if you go um, see it's grin on his face. Yeah, I, I, uh, I knew what was coming. I, I had a, well, I had a pretty good idea, of, uh, and uh, and even then. So I think the key thing is that some of your choices made in episode one and, and earlier on in the episode in, in two start to really become apparent now. So, so that's exciting. I'm certainly very much looking forward to episode three. Uh, which I haven't yet played in any kind of preview mode, so I'm definitely going to get the jump on that, and I'm looking forward to it. So, <laughs> and uh, keep an eye out for any Easter eggs in the game. Good. Uh, so that's Life is Strange. Tick. Good. Um, well, there were just a small match of a couple of other minor releases, I would say, in the in the scheme of things. Type Zero. Dan, this is firmly in your territory. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, Type Zero came. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, it came to out. The whole I guess. Team, not just you. Oh, no, I, I, I take all the glory. As a representative. <laughs> all right, well, we'll pass that along to, uh, to Matt Sand and see. Yeah. see yeah, I'll, I'll send him a carrier pigeon note. We'll <laughs> it'll get over to Japan eventually, we hope. Um, but yeah, it's been, I guess, just over two weeks now. And yeah, it's been it's been great. Um, looking back at a lot of feedback. Um, and on a personal note, it's a really proud moment for me because this is the first Final Fantasy game I've ever worked on. And, you know, as a self-proclaimed you know, Final Fantasy fanboy, you know, I'm very proud right now. 
and I'm playing the game at the moment, it's, it's great. Really looking forward to my second playthrough because I'm coming to the end of my first. And I don't know how much you guys know about Type Zero, but it's kind of designed so if you, to understand the whole story, you have to do two playthroughs. It kind of tells you basically half the story each time. Oh, or is that from like different characters' perspectives then? Or... Sort of. I mean, it's the same characters throughout, but in the second playthrough, you get to see certain things that you didn't see in the first time, and you get different options. So like in the second mission, for example, you're supposed to take over a fortress. Uh, well, reclaim a fortress. In the first playthrough, you go on straight, head in, you mm. take it over by force. The second playthrough, you basically become like a covert ops group, and then you go into enemy lines ahead of the main force. So it's a little bit different and it uncovers a little bit more of the story. Not what I'm right, saying anymore. Okay. Right. Uh, can, you, can you choose that path yourself? Or is the that second playthrough sort of determined? You choose, um, yeah. You don't get a choice in the first playthrough, but the second time you get an option to choose. And then, yeah. yeah you know. it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I think, you know, it's one of the questions I'm interested actually in asking, uh, asking our dear listeners um, is, when you got, if you got Type Zero, hopefully you did. What was the first thing you did? Was it play Type Zero, or was it play the FF15 demo? Well, the demo does take a little while to download. Yes. So I don't, I don't think play Type Zero. Wow, the demo. Yeah. Was in fact, that's exactly what I did do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Being economical, time. Also <laughs> super exciting. Well, one question, just before we talk about the 15 demo. Um, you're, so you're nearing the end of the first playthrough. Are yep. you going to watch the end credits? Are you going to wait to see your name? I am. Yep, and I'm gonna be abusing uh, that share button. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's an it's an awesome thing. Um, my name is, is is probably unjustifiably in Life is Strange credits, and uh, I think that's God. one of the most. Thanks, Toby. It's one of the most uh, one of the most satisfying. <laughs> 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 oh dear, debut and final appearance <laughs> from Toby Palm. Uh, no, it's, it's one of the most satisfying moments uh, I think for anybody who works in in the games industry who loves games um, you know most people you play games and it's, it's the first thing you skip you get to the end great right okay now how do I go back and unlock those other trophies or whatever <laughs> it is you do um, but uh, yeah kind of waiting for them to scroll down uh, is is definitely very satisfying all right um, so straight on to the demo and again I think there's well I, actually I do want to just say a word about type zero the reviews are pretty good and uh, you know really good to see um, Especially considering, I guess, the, the sort of the legacy of how, how the game came to be. I wondered if uh, you know, people might kind of still have some lingering frustration over it originally being a PSP game and, and, and taking so long to come over. But you know, the reviews I read certainly seemed to enjoy the fact that it was a slightly fresh approach and uh, kind of doing something different. So, so that was good to see. Um, but yeah, the demo. Um, I think it's safe to say there are a few wow moments in there and given that it's a demo it's probably something we can talk about without too much fear of spoilers because yeah. to be honest it's a demo it's been a couple of weeks if you've not played it yet then shame on you and to be honest like <laughs> the content and especially story there isn't really much story it's more like a right. framework yeah it's just like a snapshot really it's kind of a yeah. slice of what you can expect and that's touching on the story as well it won't feature in that actual storyline is not in the main game it's, so it's, it's, it's been made bespoke yeah um the first thing I mean, there were probably two moments for me, which once I'd got through the tutorials, <laughs> which I think are definitely necessary, uh, but there's quite a lot to learn, isn't there, in terms of movement and combat and stuff. Um, but even before I got to the first tutorial, I remember kind of just doing the first look around, taking stock. Again, it's obviously something I've seen a little bit in, in uh, before, before the release, but taking control of the game for the first time and just looking out across the lake and seeing this ridiculously huge uh, creature, I know nothing about it. I don't, you know, but it's. I just found myself standing there watching it move around for a while, and and within myself thinking, part of me, I just want to go and see if I can fight it and beat it. <laughs> and thinking, no, don't be ridiculous. It's the size of you know, like a hundred buses or something crazy. Um, did you did you find that when you played the demo? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, half of it is because, it's like you say, it's a demo, so you, you know, you've no that there's almost no penalty because you know in the demo it doesn't matter if you die right, over and exactly. over again yeah. it's not gonna really be detrimental to your overall experience and your your game your save so yeah i went and just did what everything i i could do i went and tried to fight everything and run around and do did you did you fight the big 
thing. Oh, you can't. You can't. Oh, you can't. oh no. Yeah. No, I tried. I tried running up, but no, it's. Uh, Is that a passive? Yeah. A passive monster. Yeah, well, it's um, there's uh, you can't go that far into the lake. Oh, I see. I imagine. Oh, I even if you could, because you, you can't swim in a demo, so. Right. You just yeah. There's just a point where you okay. can't proceed any closer. But it, I mean, it's definitely you know feels like a living, breathing world, which is exciting. Um, I suppose the second thing of note. I, I just just just, uh, just my question about the FF15 demo. I haven't played it yet, but. Is right. there? Well, you're not really entitled to it. <laughs> yeah. you know, Get out. Just, just, just leave. No, no, no. Important question. Serious time. Is there an elixir and did you use it? An elixir? Yeah. No, I don't think there is. I think you get potions, a phoenix down, maybe ethers? I can't remember. I never really use any items. Okay, because I was just thinking that would have been the opportune moment because you're, you know, you've only got that sort of framework in which you play and you know when the end sort of comes around so you know actually you're not going to be saving that elixir for a massive boss battle like in all the other Final Fantasies. Yeah to be honest I'm a te- in RPGs I'm a terrible <laughs> hoarder I never use any of thinking oh yeah I might need it for a bigger battle and then by the end right. of the game I'm exactly the same <laughs> I'm, exa- I'm thinking no hang on I need to save this because when I really need it if I use it now I'll regret it and then what happens if I really needed it I can't get past something and then it's effectively a game over. And then I find, you know, when I finish the game, I've got like 16,000 <laughs> Phoenix Downs. Yeah. And it's like, oh. And I look back and I think, yeah, then that's weird because there's about 15,500 times where I died. <laughs> yeah. And actually that would have been really useful. But I, uh, yeah. I'd love to know, dear listeners, uh, what do you do? Are you a hoarder? Are you a, a user? <laughs> Gotta be careful. <laughs> uh, of, of, of and very specifically uh, items within uh, Final Fantasy games. Um, do you save them up and then probably end up with uh, far too many at the end of the game? Or do you use them as you go? In other words, I suppose, are you a pro? I'm sure you are. Um, or are you a bumbling buffoon like me? <laughs> just Good. go in OP, then you never need to use any any items. Uh, just, uh, yeah. So the second moment for me was I'm just going to say the word summoning. Ooh. I've seen that. Yeah, I I've think, seen that. Uh, is it safe to say? Well, I yeah, think, again, spoiler, so. we leave it. No, I'm warning. just going to say the word summoning, and if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and search FF15 summoning. And, uh, mm, it's been mm. tasty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's been tasty, that. So, yeah, I, so that's exciting. I remember seeing that for the first time, and all stuff. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty incredible. And it's, oh man, there's more I want to say, but I can't because spoilers, so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's just something. Let's let's let people draw their own conclusions there. But um, but yeah, I mean certainly it feels pretty cool to get our hands on a, a slice of that game so early in in development. I mean this is obviously unprecedented uh, for the Final Fantasy games, and it's really cool. I think certainly that Tabata San and the team want to get user feedback. Uh, and uh, there was a survey as well, a follow up survey I saw. Um, so hopefully people have been playing that a lot. They've been making up their minds, getting some opinions, getting some feedback over to the team. Um, you know, while there is genuinely still a good amount of time for development to go. So very exciting, I think, for the first time, uh, fans of Final Fantasy can take a hand in actually shaping that game. Yeah, and I mean, as a fan myself, the, it's just incredible that you know that thing is Final Fantasy Fifteen is real. And yeah, like I say, we actually get to play it. <laughs> And yeah, as Phil mentioned, the survey is live um, and it will be live until the 31st of May. So you still got some time to, uh, to take part if you haven't, or you know, if you are like Toby, haven't maybe got a copy of Type Zero. Yes, I with the demo. Then. Just, uh, well, that's the thing, it's like he's got it. He's got it. Oh, he's, he's got, got it. Oh. He's got the demo, he just hasn't played it. That's even worse. So, Shame on you. I, I literally just finished the last game I was playing uh, this past weekend, so maybe, you know, if, if you let me go home, like, now, I can probably... Uh, <laughs> well, if you, if you earn the right to go home by doing some actual work, then, uh, All right. then that'd be great. Square Enix London. So, uh, a couple of other things um, that that's probably, I'd say that's fair to say, that's the major stuff out of the way, isn't it? Um, a couple of other things though, Collective, um, Square Enix Collective, if you're not familiar with that, it's a platform we created to help uh, indie, small indie teams uh, build awareness of their projects and, uh, and help them through crowdfunding. Uh, in the past month, we've been helping a team called Massive Damage Inc, uh, based in Montreal, Canada. Uh, with a project called Halcyon 6 Starbase Commander and I have to say I'm, I'm super excited about this game. It's like uh, Babylon 5 meets Star Trek meets FTL I think meets a bit of Master of Orion 
Uh, it's a big mashup of, uh, of kind of sci-fi tropes in there and games and TV series and stuff. So um, it's been doing well at the time of recording and I'll, I'll just, just for clarification's sake, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon in London. Uh, so this you know, will probably be a couple of days before this is actually published. Right now, the, the project still has a couple of days to run and it's about $163,000 or something, yep. Yep. which is great because they were, they were going for a target of $40,000. So, so we're really, really happy um, uh, for those guys and, um, uh, and that's pretty awesome. What's Masters of Orion? Masters of Orion um, was a video game, kind of a space uh, adventure strategy type thing back oh. in the day, classic Ooh. game. Um, Star Control as well, it's got influences from. Um, yeah, but I mean, FTL is probably the, probably the most recent sort of touchstone for that, for that particular game. So, uh, but that's looking really awesome, and uh, yeah, we're really happy to be working with those guys. So, yeah, two more days. By the time you hear this, that campaign probably will have ended. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, keep keep an eye out for the next one. Is what I'd say. The latest stretch goal was um, actually mod tools, which yep. is uh, which I the, from the games I've worked on with Square Enix, I always see uh, requests for sort of fan modifications and stuff like that. So actually um, having mod tools available for Halcyon 6 is actually uh, pretty awesome and for them to have reached that stretch goal, which was actually at, a, I think, 160k. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, at the time recording, the last two stretch goals that to be revealed was, uh, one of them is a kind of a space rogues narrative uh, kind of campaign with an extra 10 hours of gameplay there, which is absolutely really cool. Um, and I think for me that sort of feels like a bit like Han Solo's story in Star Wars, <laughs> you know, the kind of the uh, smuggler type uh, thing. So, yeah, that that'd be pretty cool. And then the two hundred thousand uh, dollar stretch goal is a PlayStation Four edition of the game. So, yeah. if you've got a PS Four and you happen to also have a time machine so that you could listen to this podcast before the end of the campaign, <laughs> uh, then um, then go and retro back the project. Anyway, yeah. If you if you missed it and you regret that you missed it, don't worry because obviously you'll be able to buy it at some point when it's released. But the lesson to learn is pay more attention to what we are supporting by collective, <laughs> uh, and uh, and do the right thing next time. Good. Um, moving on. So uh, another Final Fantasy related uh, announcement slash release, I guess, um, is Final Fantasy Record Keeper. And I'll be honest, when this when I first saw this on, on my Facebook feed, I didn't actually know what it was. Uh, but that's because it wasn't out. Uh, I think it was Japan first, then Canada, was it? And then uh, other territories, I'm not exactly sure. But um, Dan, I mean, I know obviously you've been looking at this a lot more. And if you go to the website, um, then you know, do just a Google search for Final Fantasy Record Keeper and you'll find that. Uh, it tells you a bit more about it, but just give us a quick overview. Yeah, it's basically a, it's a free-to-play game, um, obviously based on Final Fantasy. The, the name comes from the fact it's basically kind of like a it's a social single player i think social single player it's, um, <laughs> That's it's a single kind of social <laughs> yeah it's a single player mobile rpg with kind of like i guess social mechanics mm-hmm. um and the premise is that you play as a record keeper so basically you relive famous final fantasy moments from the mainline final fantasy franchise so you know, the bombing mission in Final Fantasy VII, you know, Final Kefka and Final Fantasy VI, etc, etc. So it's so basically a list of moments and battles and all the characters are presented in kind of a 16-bit sprite yeah, um, format. So, pixel art, they? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So, I have to say, they, they look fantastic. Yeah, it looks so cool, right? especially the, um, the late, from the later games, who obviously were all yeah. in Polygon, so seeing yeah. them kind of retrofitted yeah. the, that style looked awesome and yeah it's just um, it's a really fun game uh, I know it's available worldwide as I mentioned before free to play so you know you check it out on iOS and Android and yeah have a have a play around you've got nothing to lose and I know quite a few people are really getting in deep I've, I had a quick look at the subreddit for it and <laughs> there's like some really intense strategies forming already I say already it's been out for maybe a week or two so you know there's yeah. there's a community out there and people get into grips with aren't they but uh, yeah no it does it does look super cool and uh, i say i really like that pixel art so that's awesome um just finally on uh, on the list of news and updates today uh the uh, classic fm hall of fame so classic fm is uh, a radio station in the uk uh which as the name would tend to suggest focuses on classical music and i know for the last few years there's been quite a, a campaign i guess to 
to get video game music taken a bit more seriously and put up there amongst the likes of Chopin and Beethoven and so on. Um, and so Classic FM runs its annual Hall of Fame and this time uh, some uh, some Skrennix music made it into that particular chart. Dan, refresh my memory because you, you knew the placements. Yeah, yeah. Um, highest position was number nine for the Final Fantasy franchise and Nobuo Matsu as composer. So, hey, yes, well done. Good Top ten. Uh, and the high, that's the highest entry for any video game or video game series, so yeah. you know, an, an incredible achievement. It's, yeah. And when you think that is up against the, you know, the, all obviously the classical composers and the, the, you know, the big big names from, from the world of classical music uh, throughout the last, you know, hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, you know sadly dropped two places from last year, but like you said, Phil, because you know we're up against the very best of the best. You know, it's still an achievement even be ranked amongst them in the top yeah, ten for sure. And the, uh, the second placement is number 30 for Kingdom Hearts. Woo! Which is even, arguably even better because that has jumped up the chart by 147 places oh, wow. from last year. Uh, and Yoko Shimomura, who is obviously the composer, mm. is the highest female composer in the entire Hall of Fame. Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah, it's a real achievement. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Okay, congratulations uh, to, well, us, I suppose. Frankly. <laughs> and um, thank you that, to everyone for voting, all the yes, fans. Yeah, team. absolutely. I know, I know that's something that we, we have shared on the Scronix channels and stuff, so it's good to, good to see people taking it up and, uh, and seeing more articles and, uh, and people taking video game music more seriously, which I think is, is fantastic because it's definitely worthwhile. Square Enix London. So after the first episode of the podcast uh, last month, uh, we asked for some feedback and we got lots. Thank you, I have to say. Thank you for being so kind. You were very gracious <laughs> and you listened to my appeals for patience <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, and we we all very much appreciated that. One one thing that definitely did come through from your comments though was that you want to understand more, particularly about how the, the Japanese side of the business works. So we're going to try and get more information and more details and more little snippets and tidbits for you over the coming months. Um, but we thought we'd start off with uh, a chat with somebody who has very much been uh, in in the frame uh, recently with uh, his his fine fine work uh, on uh, translation. And uh, and that is of course Gavin Poffley, who who was uh, translating um, for or interpreting, I should probably say really, uh, for for Tabata San in, in the um, Active Time reports, uh, which a certain Dan Sito seems to have uh, hosted Who's he? and presented. Yeah, he's an nobody. Forget about that guy. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean that was a great event. So so it was great to catch up with Gavin uh, a few days ago and uh, and talk to him about uh, a bunch of stuff. Uh, so Gavin Poffley. So it's great to be able to uh, invite Gavin Poffley to the Square Enix London podcast. Um, Gavin, you're very welcome here. Um, uh, first of all, let, let's just begin. Nice to be here. Nice to be about, here. Thank you. Talk, talk about yourself, what, your job title, what you do at Square Enix. Okay, um, my job title at Square Enix is uh, actually Japanese business translator. Um, what that means is that I handle all the, uh, the well, not on my own, but my group, my team handles um, a lot of the, the business translation and interpreting needs uh, for the London and Europe offices. Um, I mean, the, the reason business is in the name really is to differentiate what I do from the people who, who localise the games, who translate the in-game text and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as for what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, there's a lot of, um, of design documents for new games that people need to see over here. They're all written in Japanese, they need to be translated to English. Uh, and the bug reports when we're uh, doing quality assurance on a game, uh, they're all, uh, the, the localised versions, the European language versions are tested obviously by people who speak those languages. Uh, and then they'll write the bug reports up into English. Uh, and they need to go to the uh, the development team, the programmers, to fix the bugs. Uh, and the programmers, obviously, mainly being Japanese, they, they speak Japanese. So that's where you need uh, translation coming in. And quite uh, a lot of accuracy, I think. Uh, yes, yes. Um, yes, yeah, so some bugs really do need those those real... <laughs> On the ball explanations, otherwise you could you could mistake it for hundreds of things. That's of course assuming our, our games had any bugs, which I'm sure. They can, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I don't know if there's yeah. anyone out there assumes they're all created 100% fully formed, but no, um, it's uh, yeah, it's a big process. <laughs> then what, probably yeah. what you're best known for uh, was um, 
certainly most recently uh, a starring role in uh, the uh, Tabatasan's Active Time Report taking place here in London and uh, yeah, I'm, that sure, I'm sure everybody enjoyed seeing the, the Final Fantasy 15 demo gameplay and mm-hmm. also the Type Zero gameplay and of course the man himself but you're very much up there on the comments you're a very popular your dress sense oh yes no, I, I, know, I noticed a number of, uh, of comments on various uh, internet forums on, on the YouTube comments as well uh, yeah, most of it was, was very positive stuff but I was, I was very glad about that um, obviously the, the dress sense I suppose goes with the territory there's some people are gonna <laughs> like it some people aren't but <laughs> well it's good uh, um, I guess I've not really seen people talk much about uh, interpreters before in, mm. in, in things like interviews and streams mm. um, and they talked a little bit about um, something which I've noticed which is the the kind of seamless way that that you're uh, re- reproducing I suppose what what someone like to some would say mm. um, and not necessarily word for word I'm guessing but really getting that feeling across so that the context of what's being said hmm. uh, works out really well. That, that seems to be what they, what they notice. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about hmm. how you do that in a moment. But yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm interested um, to, to find out how you got into translation and interpretation. What was the... Hmm. How long have you been doing that for? Okay, well, I mean, um, I started learning the Japanese language formally uh, when I went started university here in the UK at age uh, 18. Um, I'd, I'd never been uh, a big linguist really up until that point. I mean, I did... Uh, French and German at GCSE. I got an okay grades for those. I think I got an A in one and a B in the other, which is, uh, which is pretty good. Yeah, I it's guess it's good. not bad. Uh, I didn't do anything any language at A level, and then I, w- I was really stumped as to what I was going to study at university. Um, and at the time, it, w- it was a bit of a gamble, really. But I saw um, a Japanese language course advertised in uh, London University, um, and I thought, yeah, that might be interesting. I don't know if I'll be any good at it, but let's give it a go. Uh, I mean, I probably should also mention that maybe my interest in Japan uh, started a bit earlier than that because I've been practicing um, the Japanese martial arts uh, since I was very young. Uh, so obviously I had a bit of an exp- exposure to the culture and so- some of the language there as well. And I guess maybe yeah. that was what maybe uh, drew me to it in some ways. So there was some, some curiosity there. Yeah. And uh, I probably um, kind of... I think it's really important to, to, to try and do things which you think you're going to enjoy, which mm. you have a, you know, you can kind of relate to. Uh, oh, yes. And how quickly did you realise that this was something you were really taking to? Um, well, I mean, perhaps after the first year, I'd say, I mean, the, the London University, the School of Oriental African Studies in London University was where I did, I did my first uh, Japanese language degree. Uh, and they work you very hard. I mean, the, the first year course there, um, there, there was well, maybe 30 hours a week of study, and you right. really had to work hard to keep were up. Were you going so. completely from scratch? Yes. Well, I mean, I, I knew a couple of basic words. I could count to 10. Right. Uh, knew basic sure. directions like back, forward. The stuff I'd learned uh, f- from the martial arts, actually. Right, I see. But no, but basically from a complete beginner's level, yeah. Um, wow. And I, I think it's very much a sink or swim thing in a way, uh, doing that kind of intensive course. Some, a lot of people did drop out. I think after three weeks, we'd lost. Yeah half the people who started wow. but uh, again if you could get through that then most people went on to the end of the course after that so how long after graduated then uh, did you end up at Square Enix well I mean after I graduated my undergraduate degree I did um, further study in a Japanese university in Hiroshima oh, okay um, and when I came back from then I worked I basically worked as a, as a interpreter and translator ever since then I've never actually had another kind of job apart from that apart from a few part-time things um, but I think after it was about it was what 2008 I think I joined the company so it was a couple of years between then um, yeah I can't remember the exact details but it was about five or six years maybe right okay um, and Square Enix was a company you, you knew before joining was you know was it some, some brand you knew? Was it something you excited Oh, very about? much so, yes. Right. I, I used to love Square Enix games when I was a kid. I mean, I still I still like Square Enix games a lot now, but I can still remember the classics that, that really, really had an impact on me, like uh, Secret Mana, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII. I mean, I really, really enjoyed those games. And, and, and yeah, it was... With the Japanese language thing, it was something that... Um, well, the games industry, certainly back in the 80s and 90s, was, was Japan. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that was something I thought, as a future career, it would be really great to be able to do something like that. And I guess I'm here now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You made it. <laughs> Although the games industry is not so much Japan anymore, unfortunately. No, well, this, I guess it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good mm. corner of the industry, isn't it, to be in? Mm. Um, so when you're when you're doing interpretation then i, I mean it's um as I, as I mentioned earlier you know it, it feels different to i suppose i should contextualize mm. this myself by saying <laughs> that i've i've done plenty of interviews uh with uh, you know, japanese execs in the past former career as a journalist and um you know the experience is often very much 
you know, I kind of say a few words <laughs> or questions and, you know, somebody's patiently mm. making notes. Uh, and sometimes, like I'm doing now, uh, as an example, I like to continue adding clauses mm. and, you know, make sure people <laughs> understand exactly where I'm coming from. And the longer I go on with yeah. my sentences, I can see the fear in the <laughs> And at some point they say, OK, wait, stop. I need to go. Um, I, you know, you, you don't seem to do any of that. I know that, How does that work? I, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of practice at this, so maybe it looks more polished than some people. But um, no, there is that moment of fear. Obviously, even even my memory is quite good, I, I think. But I, I have a limit too. And there is that point where you start to think, look, I, the memory bank's full. I, I need to translate this now. Otherwise, I'm just going to start forgetting it. Yeah. As an interpreter, you, mm. you kind of don't want to be noticed in that. Ah. You know, you want to present it as if it's from the person mm. talking to, to the other person or people in the room. Mm. You know, but. The, the way that you express, you know, the, the, the sort of, the, sometimes it's humour, sometimes mm. it's serious, sometimes it's, uh, you know, that seems to come across very well. So, it, mm. it, it, and it's not really a case of just exactly translating the words as much as the meaning behind them. No, yeah, that, that's very correct. Um, I personally, I, I have seen a number of interpreters who do maybe approach the, the task of interpreting the words like a machine in some ways. It's just, this is the words that go in, we must get exactly the same words out the other side. Uh, and that can get a lot of accuracy. There, there are some times where that is, uh, is perhaps better. So when you're dealing with really technical details and facts and figures, right. uh, it, it's best to stick to that. But mm. the, certainly the, the kind of interviews that, that people maybe know me best for, the, the uh, the colour interviews, I suppose you could call them, with with, with all the, the development stuff. You you want to see the personality, uh, and you want to get across their their human side of it as well. And yes. I, th I think you need to try and recreate that. It's, right. um, and I think that's what people responded to well on the active time report. Oh yes, I, I believe that was. Um, if, if it was done in a very dry manner, people would have just switched off, wouldn't they? Yeah. It's, and they um, definitely didn't. So that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, maybe my shirt, but <laughs> so so you work with um, I guess quite a lot of the the, the directors and producers mm. from from Square Enix Japan. Yes. Um, over the time. Um, do you, do you go to a lot of events? I, I obviously do mm. internal stuff that you've, you've talked about, but you, mm. you know, you have to do some travelling and, and how oh, does yeah. that work? No, that, it's good fun doing that actually because my, my day job, I'm basically in the office all day, five days a week, um, translating documents or doing interpreting for internal uh, telephone conferences, video conferences and that. Uh, but yeah, a couple of times a year we go to the big events and do, uh, do media interviews or presentations. So yeah, you get to travel all around with that, go to um, E3 in LA, uh, Gamescom in Germany, uh, various other places. A lot of media tours where you go all around Europe, they're all good fun. And has there ever been a time when, you know, you've uh, been um, in interpreting something and you suddenly thought, hang on, I'm not supposed to be supposed to, are we supposed to say that? <laughs> Is that public? Like, I guess you can't really second guess what's being said. You just mm. have to go with it, right? Well, I mean, the, the way we do our interviews actually is the system, in a way, has a built-in fail-safe for that because while um, obviously the, the development talent who is doing the interview is, is talking in Japanese, there's always going to be uh, a Japanese PR guy in the room from, from the Tokyo PR team. <laughs> right. And if they say something that they're not supposed to say, that's when it gets stopped. <laughs> so it's all, there's a filter in there before the... I mean, it doesn't happen very often. They're all These guys are all brief. They know what sure, they yeah. are allowed to say it's and what they are. But, yeah. But there's, there's that extra layer in there. So while they're doing the original uh, pronouncement, they say, well, hang on, we can't say that. We haven't <laughs> given anything about that. And then it does, doesn't get interpreted. So. And, the, you know, the, you could be the, this hilarious moment when you're up on stage doing a you know, big audience uh, <laughs> and you just make it up completely just like... <laughs> you know, have you ever been tempted just to completely wing it? Oh, it does. does that's it, dull. Let's make some cool stuff up. And it does slip into your mind, going. but yeah, you really can't do that because, again, even, even though the majority of the audience can't understand the Japanese, there's always going to be a couple of people yeah, who of do. So, yeah, yeah. You, you've got to watch out for that. I guess it would be quite a lot of fun for quite a short time. It would be hilarious, and then someone <laughs> would fire me, so it wouldn't be hilarious after that. So, um, so what sort of events have you been to then? Mm. You've been to TGS or E3? Games I've never actually been to TGS. I mean, uh, there's, there's a lot. I think last year they used uh, some of the interpreters from our American offices there, so I don't know all if right, I'll be sent this year or not. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to go. It'd be a great event. I'd love to see it. But I've done, I've done all the other big shows at E3, um, Gamescom. I went to Paris Games Week last year, actually. There's an up-and-coming one in France. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're, they're all very different. Um, they, they do feel quite different. It's not as if it's just the same thing in a different city. And what's the... Talk us through the sort of... Let, let's say something at maybe Paris Games Week. Mm. What's the kind of the, the schedule there? Because you've you need to be on hand for I guess potentially a uh, stage mm. show I guess then media interviews mm. and then probably also the less formal networking in the evenings and that kind oh, of thing oh yes I you mean, do all of it it's um, it must be pretty exhausting oh it's hard I mean this this last week when we did uh, with Tabitha Zan with the, um, the Active Time Report that was that was a six-day week there, and I think I, I totaled up I worked about 80 hours over that whole week because wow. uh, again you do I bet you don't get paid overtime 
No, well, I mean, I don't know if I should say or not, but I mean, uh, <laughs> my contract does have overtime in it, but no. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you, it sounds like you earn it. So. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I think after three days, if well, I, I, I hope I earned it anyway, but um, no, because you start in the morning and there'll be the media interviews and, and yeah, over lunch. And right. the thing is, when everyone else yeah, is in the course. evening at lunchtime, people are all relaxed, it's not work for them. Yeah. But I've still got to be there and I've still got to interpret, so it, it really is just the same thing, more of the same for me. Crucially, do you get to eat ever? Ah, no, that's, that's another interesting skill that I've mastered in this line of work, is how to eat and interpret at the same time, and that's hard. <laughs> you just ask for, like, milkshakes. Yeah, no, it doesn't... <laughs> if there's soup blend on, my food. Yeah, if there's soup on the menu, go for the soup. If there's any, any interpreters <laughs> right. out there who have to eat during their work, go for the soup, you can swallow it down. And, and ask them to make it a little bit cooler than normal. <laughs> I guess one of the things that, that must be quite a challenge is you have to constantly refresh your cultural... Mm. Uh, um, appreciation. You, you, oh, yes. you have to spend. How, how much time do you manage to spend in Japan? Um, well, I mean, I generally try and go back at least every year. Although recently, it's been uh, a lot less than that. I mean, every two or three years. But fortunately, I mean, my wife's Japanese, so I do get that kind so of cultural of practice. cultural contact okay. at home. And uh, yeah. and again, the, the rest of my team in the, in the office is Japanese, and, and I talk to all the Japanese people in the office. It's um, it, it's an environment which is very conducive to to keeping it up. But uh, I think as well as that, you also have to keep your uh, your knowledge of, of of how the Japanese games industry works and, right. and the kind like the internet terms for things and how people refer to it. Of course. It's like yeah. the subculture aspects of that. Um, yeah. And all those great marketing phrases. Oh, yes, marketing <laughs> phrases and buzzwords. <laughs> Which everyone loves. Yeah, I mean, they, they are so gamers, hard. Right? Oh, they're so hard to translate sometimes because <laughs> yeah. they, they sound really great in one language, but then you turn to the other language and they make no sense at all. <laughs> oh, no, I think half the time they don't make sense yeah. in any language. But but the thing about marketing anyway. is that most of it is empty. It's um, yeah. It sounds great, well, but you look at the content. They're intended to convey a, yeah. kind of a, a meaning, but... Um, it's, they, yeah, it, it's the feeling it, it creates rather than semantic content, and they, they work very well for that, but to try and... You really have to start again when you translate into another language. I mean, that links into my whole philosophy of, uh, of how I interpret. I mean, my, my goal, as it were, my objective is uh, to recreate the same impact and the same effect on the, uh, the English uh, listener as the original Japanese would have had on the original Japanese listener. Uh, and, yeah. and sometimes you do have to really switch, shift things around and add in extra um, clarifications and, and background information or really change the way something's presented uh, because it's, again culturally people communicate in very different ways and it's just being aware of that and trying to find the right uh, strategy to, to get the same message and the same feeling across mm. so it, it, rather than approaching it as a as a translating words into words I, I maybe more look at it as translating sort of like meanings and intentions into, into meanings and intentions I think if you do that it, it gets it across in a lot more uh, a lot more natural way and sometimes a lot, a lot more of a deep way as well and yeah, I'm sure that's that's appreciated on both sides of the mm. uh, the, the equation so I, I'm sure you you enjoy working with all of the uh, uh, directors and producers mm. uh, and, oh yes they're all great and, guys uh, and folks in senior management I know you you were translating here recently for, for Matt Sudasan as well but um, you know do you have any you know any particular favourites that you could? Uh... I mean, again, I get on with all really well, but I think per personally, I got on very, very well with um, with Ichiro Hazama, who's uh, was the director on uh, uh, Dissidia and uh, uh, more recently G Bike and Theatre Rhythm. Um, I got on very well with him as a person uh, when I was interpreting for him at Gamescom. Um, <laughs> funny enough, uh, it's an interesting story that he's he's quite short, and I'm if you you maybe didn't get it from the the podcast, but I'm quite tall. I'm six foot four. Um, so the height difference between us is, is intense. Uh, and sometimes you get journalists who want to film a little interview. So just this, this, the, the logistics of trying to get me and him standing next to each other on a camera is, is not easy. And especially at Gamescom, with those rooms, the booth that we do the interviews are so small. small. There, yeah. there's, just, there's just not enough uh, You can't really zoom out. No. So that was hard. I think in one of them I had to sit down, he stood up or something. But, uh, <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And what... Um, what, I suppose behind the scenes, I guess people are going to be fascinated to know. Mm. You know, what, what do you what do you talk about in the, the sort of the time between interviews? How do you spend time? You know, like what, what sort of things <laughs> do you get up to, or, or are you just completely like zoned out? No, 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 no. I um, well, sometimes I have to just zone out for a couple of minutes. But um, I don't know. I like to think I'm a, I'm a very personable kind of guy, and I'll just I'll chat with them about all sorts of things. Again. Um, with, with Hazama-san, we, we share uh, some interests. He's, he's recently taken up uh, martial arts as well, so we're talking about that. Um, and then with some, some of the girls from the PR department, we were cracking silly jokes. And, uh, and I think there's like a yoga contest went on between interviews at one point. Um, <laughs> just hoping, I hope a journalist or someone doesn't come in and see all these guys just goofing around. But yeah, we, we like, to, like to relax a bit between the interviews too. Yeah, of course. Well, uh, thanks a lot for your time. It's been uh, it's a fascinating to hear from you and, uh, and I'm sure everybody will, will enjoy the insight. Uh, just finally, one, one favour if you'd uh, no just be able to, to say for us in Japanese uh, you're listening to the Square Enix London podcast
えー、と日本の皆さんこちらあのスクエニックスポッドキャストです、えー、お楽しみください And that was Gavin Poffley, who's an interpreter and translator, and all manner of all things localization, and generally a bit of a superstar in the making, I think we'd all agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. More Gavin, please. More Gavin. He's <laughs> the most fashionable person, probably, in, in probably the company. Yeah, and that's Scott, that must be hard for you to hear as a hipster with skinny hey, jeans. Hey, let's, let's not start. Let's not start, shall no, we? Let's... It started off nicely. <laughs> yeah, true. Toby, say something. Something. Okay. I was just, every time I have a go at Scott, I need to, need to balance it out.、Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned before, then,、uh, yeah, we, we'd like to try and get some,、uh, some different kind of viewpoints from within the business to try and give you a little bit more of an understanding of what it's like to work for Square Enix and kind of a little bit more about how the business works. So, we'll try to keep doing that、uh, in the coming months.、Um, but、um, I, we've also been looking at some of the questions. Again, lots of those are ones which will require a fair bit of research. Um, but、um, Toby, certainly there was one of the ones that really caught our eye.、Uh, read it out, please. All right, sure thing. So、um, this, I think this one came through the blog actually.、Um, so, how does SE Japan get feedback from、uh, the Western audience? So, you know, what roles do Square Enix Europe and Square Enix North America play you know, for Japan?、Hmm. Yeah, so I, I think this is a good one actually because we've already touched upon it a little bit earlier on.、Um, In terms of the Final Fantasy XV demo, as, as something which is really a vehicle for that feedback.、Um, Dan, I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about how, because you, you're instrumental obviously in collecting feedback and sending it onto the team, and you know, how, do, how do they respond to that? How, how often do they seek out that information?、Um, well, it varies. I mean, when it comes to actually seeking out the information, it's literally on a case by case, game by game、mm. basis, because obviously they have a lot of different teams. Who work on different games, and it's all down to the people making the games whether they have the time to take on board that feedback, to go through it,、um, what stages of development, all that kind of stuff. So, obviously, we've seen with Tabalasan and the Final Fantasy XV team that they are you know, extremely receptive to, to feedback.、Um, as we've mentioned the survey already,、um, and you know, after or well, the active time reports are half. Done because of feedback and to、right. respond to feedback. Yeah, so yeah. that's the extent that they want to go.、Yeah. But other teams don't necessarily have the same kind of resources. That's true. So, you know, if there's a much smaller team when they don't have the time to go through on it, then it's, you know, they still have a game to make. Yeah. I so, definitely remember, you know, in the past kind of working, sort of getting, compiling reports and, and being asked for feedback or how, how certain announcements have gone down.、Um, you know, it's always a, a Pleasure to kind of compile that stuff and send it over. I know they're very, very interested. And of course, you know, again, you mentioned Tabatsan, Yoshida san, of course, with 14.、Oh, cool. I know none of us here work on on、uh, on FF14, but、um, but you know, they're, they're, they're constantly kind of、uh, re- reacting to feedback and responding to that stuff. So, you know, there's, there's a bunch of sort of more formal and more informal ways.、Uh, I know they're always interested to, to see what the responses are you know, via blogs or social channels、uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, You know, I, I know it's obviously very easy when, when maybe some decisions、um, that a business makes you don't understand or you don't necessarily agree with.、Um, and, you know, oftentimes we're just not really in a position to, to kind of talk about that stuff or, or respond too much.、Um, you know, maybe because we don't really have that much information or sometimes it's kind of a little bit sensitive, so we have to be a bit careful. But、um, certainly what I would say is that do continue to, to give your feedback because,、um, you know, It's not just us here in the West, but certainly the folks in Tokyo are always、uh, trying to make the best games、um, and, and really kind of respond to, to what it is that, that you guys want to play. So、uh, even if you don't necessarily agree with us all the time,、um, you know, and,、uh, and even if, if you're kind of giving us a hard time,、uh, that's okay. You know, keep it coming. And、uh, we all want to keep seeing that passion. Yeah, just to add on to that, the,、um, the teams in FCJ are always receptive. To feedback, you know, whether they can act on it or not. They, they, it's funny in Japan, they don't get the same kind of level of response that we do here in the West.、Um, so it's a little bit alien to them. Yeah. So, but they, you know, they love the fact that, you know, fans, they, they you know, they love the fact they have fans who care enough to actually speak out about the product、mm-hmm. they love. And how it, how it basically works is that we have a, A liaison, so to speak, in FEJ, because obviously not everyone in Japan speaks English,、yeah. um, who I speak to very regularly, and I will pass on、uh, feedback from you guys to them, 
and then they all translated to Japanese and then forwarded on to the relevant teams. Um, and yeah, they're always, you know, like I said before, everyone's always really receptive, really just happy that people want to talk and want the best out of out of our games. Um, so anyway, keep your questions coming in. Hopefully, we'll be able to answer more of them over time. Um, we will. We obviously read them all, um, and uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do our best, as I say, to answer them. Square Enix London. So we're just going to finish up with a little bit of uh, any other business and what we're playing. Toby, I'm going to start with you because you did mention, you know, I was giving you a hard time about not having played the demo and you said you just finished a game this past weekend. So what was the game? I uh, just finished Watch Dogs, actually. Watch Dogs? Yeah, completely Goodness. completed it, platinumed it okay. on PlayStation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah, good times. I really enjoyed it, and at the same time, I completed Life Strange Episode One. Wow. Um, also, you know, I've, I've I've got Episode Two just waiting there, but uh, you know, I, I I'm letting it sink in before I move on. Okay, what's what's going to be your next game? Oof, I, I don't know. I I think um, I got Bloodborne um, today, so that's a potential. But that being said. As the FF15 demo is sitting there, right? Uh, That's the correct answer. Yes, that was close. <laughs> oh, wow, I, I honestly <laughs> thought you were going to say that something else. Then, so uh, you've redeemed yourself. Yeah. So, but I mean, for, for me, it always depends on sort of how much time you have to invest in a game. Because as I hate putting a game down before I've actually 100% completed it, you know, some sometimes I want to maybe play a shorter game. But you know, say if like you know, Type You're Zero, so methodical. which That's is brilliant. Type Zero is on my playlist. But I'm thinking. Final Fantasies, they, they are quite big time investments. Yeah, they are. You know, and just coming off Watch Dogs, I'd probably want to go for something shorter, you know, something I don't have to sort of... Tell me about it. I'm still grappling with uh, Assassin's Creed Unity. And I think <laughs> I've been putting like, hours and hours every single week into this. Probably most evenings I've put at least a couple of hours in. And I've completed the story and the main game. I've done most of the Dead Kings DLC. I've done almost all the collectibles, yet when I load the game, it still says I'm only 59% through. And I'm like, how is this happening? Put it down. So it's, it's terrifying. But the thing, I, like, I've so I've enjoyed the game. I, as I said in the last part, I, I, I do love the Assassin's Creed game, so I'm a bit of a sucker for that stuff. Um, and, you know, I don't feel, I don't have to be such a completionist, uh, but, you know, I'm still enjoying it, so I still want to play it some more. And there will become a point where it's like, okay, right, enough now. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I'm still enjoying that. Uh, still playing World of Warcraft, enjoying uh, some some raiding there. Um, not fourteen. I, I, honestly, if uh, if I hadn't been playing World of Warcraft for ten years, <laughs> and uh, you know, sort of be uh, in a in a guild with people I know and stuff, they can um, play fourteen with you. I know. I, I would love to. I did try actually. To be fair, <laughs> I did try, but uh, but I think it's hard to have more than one MMO. Um, so I, I've yeah, I've been watching fourteen from from a sort of a, a slightly regretful distance. Um, but uh, but massively impressed with, with what they've done since the first version of that game. Um, I think that's pretty much it for me. Obviously, I mentioned Life is Strange episode two. Oh, I didn't I didn't do it. I can't believe I didn't do it. Careful, because yeah. uh, Toby will complain about spoilers again. So, so yeah. Well, after we finish recording, I'm just going to tell him <laughs> and spoil it for him. But I'm going to do it off air. You know, you know that thing that you didn't do. Yeah. I will do to you. <laughs> really? That doesn't make, that doesn't make yeah. any sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> so if, Good. if Phil, you didn't do it, Scott, did you do or did not do it? I did. Yeah, you're such a goody two shoes Because uh, I'm a nurturing person. You're you're a hipster. You're well, a hipsters aren't really nurturing, are they? They're kind I of... don't really know. Because, Normally, because well, I'm not one. Well, baby goats self obsessed maybe because if they nurture it then it will get bigger and more people take interest and then that's yeah, not then what hipsters want interesting yeah. interesting I, I, I see a problem with you being a community <laughs> manager Scott how? well if, you, if you're this could be good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh, let's get the pop on, well as a community manager you know you're, you're meant to grow the community and bring it to more people you know and make sure people enjoy the game but by doing that you're essentially distancing the game from you know being a hipster game but and you're ruining. No, yourself. I think I think the point about hipster hipster is that you you want to grow the point so it's fashionable, and then you stop just before it gets too fashionable, too popular. <laughs> yeah, then he'll move on to something else. And so someone else it's, it's okay because I've already decided to fire him after episode three. So okay. Well, yeah. Before the end of the. End that's, of the uh, that's in my contract, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Toby, you might have to take over. Yeah. We'll, um, just, we'll just move on to a different project. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so what have I been playing? What have you been playing, Scott? I was uh, literally just about to ask ooh, that question. It's amazing. Big, big How did question. you read my mind? Ah, uh, well, you had the look in your eye. Um, it's all been it's all been Bloodborne, I'm afraid. Uh, right, okay. I, typical. Yeah. I oh. knew it'd be you. <laughs> oh yeah. Why is that choice. typical? But this is this is it's interesting because it's my first Souls game I've played. Uh, I didn't pick up any of the uh, Dark Souls game or Demon Souls game, um, but I went into it knowing it's going to be tough. And um, with that said, it's it's actually really really uh, a rewarding experience when you get just that little bit further. Uh, I beat a boss that was giving me a pretty hard time uh, over the weekend and I actually threw my arms up in the air and kind of let out a little squeal of excitement. Woot. Yeah, or a okay. woot. Squeal. <laughs> sounds like a domestic violence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Um, and uh, yeah, so I finished episode two, Life Strange as well. I'd done it on PC, but I wanted the achievements on my PS4 at home so I played through it again and yeah it's good did you do did the same exact same thing happen yeah both did it did it again you just oh. made the same choices yeah essentially wait, what? <laughs> that, hang on wait wait you've got a game that's defined by the different choices you can make and so you had an opportunity to play it on two different platforms and you made the exact same choices again well, you didn't decide well let me just try this branch and see where this goes <laughs> I like this trophy was that it you like the name of the trophy that, that uh, I you. like the route that I had taken so you already take I did. I did. Though. I did see some little extra bits that I hadn't seen before, though. Um, right. Like something to do with the Vortex Club that I hadn't done in my first playthrough. So that was cool. See some extra extra bits. That's just a wasted opportunity, as far as I'm concerned. Well, how about you, Dan? Um, as I mentioned before, I've been playing a lot of Type Zero, but I've also been playing uh, Persona Q on 3DS, right. which I've been playing for a very long time now. <laughs> uh, another big RPG, but. I, I love the Persona games, so I, I just absorb them. I go through every nook and cranny, I explore everything, uh, and I, I love it. Awesome. You should play it. You should all play Persona Q. Do you all have 3DSs? No. Yep. No. If, no. Sorry. Do you all have Vitas? <laughs> nope. No. Oh. Wow. This is We're rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This Thanks sounds like a great time to end. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Toby. Good debut, I thought, there. By the way, I am also a community manager for all Squarenies. Yep. I don't think we mentioned that. No, I know. I didn't really want to admit to you. Because, uh, <laughs> I don't want to associate with you. Official, really. I'm one of you. Yeah, I'm sure anyone who frequents the blog will know who Toby is. You. Um, thank you very much, Dan. Good to see you again. Thank you for having me. Scott. Yeah. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the lovely time as always good um, so obviously comments feedback questions obviously leave them all in uh, the blog or if you're getting this via YouTube in the comments section or if you're getting it anywhere else wherever the relevant comments are uh, you can always tweet us uh, Square Enix Europe um, yeah good that's it from us we'll see you next time hope you enjoyed the pod cheers bye 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 bye, bye. this is the Square Enix London podcast